Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's episode of TCCP is none other than everyone's favourite upcoming cricket journalist, Mr. Kieran McCarthy. So, Kieran, first things first, mate, thank you very much for coming back onto the podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since you graced your presence here on TCCP, but I have to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Uh, yeah, good, thanks. I played, actually managed to get my first cricket game in yesterday. We've had the first two weeks called off for rain, so good to have actually played some cricket over the weekend. Um, so, yeah, going well. Well, that is excellent here, Kieran. And in terms of the performance, how did you do? Uh, it was like, a, I think it was a 95 run win, took a fourfer. So, uh, second ball dork, but we'll take the fourfer. I was going to say, you can't really complain. 95 run win and a fourfer. <laughs> I wish I could do that. Goodness me, I think I've had like two career wins and career best figures of four for 20. And that certainly wasn't this season because <laughs> our season hasn't even begun yet. But talking of a competition which has well and truly begun in 2023, that is, of course, what we are here to discuss the LV County Championship because the fourth round has finally come to a conclusion here on Sunday, the 30th of April. And I'll tell you what, considering that we only had five games this week, they were five very, very good encounters indeed. And what better place to start, to be honest, Kieran, than in my home city, right? The second city of Birmingham, where Surrey beat Warwickshire by nine wickets at Edgbaston Cricket Ground. Now, Surrey won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in admittedly favourable bowling conditions, a decision which, unsurprisingly, appeared to have paid off very, very nicely, as Kemar Roach, Dan Worrell, Jordan Clark, and Tom Laws side through the Bears' batting lineup to bowl out the home side for just 150 runs within 56 overs at Edgbaston. Now, Kieran, before we go any further and we discuss Surrey's batting and Warwickshire's bowling and the rest of this game, we have to talk about Surrey's bowling attack because so often on this podcast we discuss Surrey and we talk about the real strength lying in the batting department with the likes of Ollie Pope, the likes of Dom Sibley, Rory Burns, Ben Folkes, when Will Jacks come back. He'll be a fantastic addition as well. So a lot of people focus on the sheer strength of that batting unit. But in terms of those seamers, they're a scary opposition to handle, aren't they? Yeah. Um, obviously, you've got a, a very good test calibre uh, bowler in, in Kemar Roach. I believe it was he took his 500th first class wicket, wasn't it, during that game? Uh, you've got Dan Worrell, who I know didn't play a lot for Australia, but I think he played a, a handful of times and obviously is just a, a very good opening bowler and, and in English conditions seems to have become even better. And then even without having Sean Abbott to call upon, who was rested for this game, you've still got the likes of Jordan Clark and Tom Laws to to take wickets as well to to back up your, your two frontline bowlers. Um, so, I mean... The depth of of them, I think we've we've spoken about Surrey's depth quite a lot, um, and in each facet they've got a lot of depth, and that's no different with the bowling attack. It certainly isn't, and I must say, obviously the conditions were massively favourable, so it was dark, it was gloomy, it was overcast, and the lights were on. But in terms of the dismissals, right, I'm very critical at times when it comes to Warwickshire's batting, right, because we do sometimes throw away wickets as was the case in the second innings, as we shall discuss. But honestly, in that first innings, 
at least eight of those ten dismissals were from excellent deliveries. And obviously, Kemar Roach was the 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 linchpin of that. He was absolutely outstanding all game long. To be honest, took a fifer in the second innings, as we shall come on to discuss. But yeah, that Surrey seam attack—they were just irresistible in Birmingham this week. And to be honest, with the bat in hands, they actually got off to a pretty decent start. So at lunch on day two, they were 99 for three. However, Warwickshire's seam attack, which again continues to impress me, really did come back very, very strong for the remainder of that day. The likes of Chris Rushworth, the likes of Oliver Hannon Dorby, the likes of Hassan Ali and Ed Barnard restricted the Brown Caps to 211 for eight by the end of the second day. But come day three, the sun finally began to shine at Edgebaston after a very, very cloudy start to proceedings. This game was very much in the balance, or I should say it was up in the balance until a certain Jamie Smith and Dan Worrell came to the crease. And Kieran, I'm not sure if you saw this particular innings from the pair of them, but that that ninth wicket partnership, 47 runs, and it came from just 6.4 overs, so 40 deliveries. It was a fantastic fantastic partnership to say the least first and foremost what did you make of Jamie Smith's batting in Birmingham this week because as someone who was there to see it it really was a sight to behold and he is a fantastic prospect isn't he yeah it's good to see Jamie Smith going well as well because in the uh, division one preview show I said that he would do very well this season obviously with um Currently, they've got all of the test players around. Holly Pope playing in this game, uh, Ben Folks playing. Um, and I thought that when they went off on England duty, obviously the Ireland test before the Ashes, and then the Ashes as well, that they're going to be away for quite a while. I thought he would step up and we're already seeing that he's stepping into that role now of he's being the person to to put everyone on, on his shoulders when, I mean, it wasn't really a tricky situation per se, but you know, they they could have been in a lot lot better situation, and and for that knock just shows the the sort of maturity that he's um, bringing into his game, and that he he is sort of developing into a player that is, you know, he's developing really well at the moment, and he's becoming one of the um, more important players in this sorry side with the bat. He certainly is, Kieran, and again, we just cannot really overstate or understate, I should say, the, the importance of that 88 from 150 balls, nine fours and two sixes, and they were big sixes, into the south stand against Chris Rushworth, who was bowling very, very well in this game. So you have to take your hat off sometimes to excellent individual performances. And in that similar vein, we have to talk about Kemar Roach in that second innings, because at this point in time, yes, Surrey had got a huge lead, 131 runs to be specific, but... Kemar Roach, there was about 36 minutes between the innings break and the lunch break on day three. And that opening spell from Kemar Roach completely killed the game. The Bears had gone into that final 36 minutes, probably a little bit, not lacking in confidence, but maybe a little bit shaky because things hadn't gone their way in the in the, the start of the morning session. But yeah, he completely blew the top order away. And the Bears all of a sudden were 22 for four. So Kieran, just a, a few words on the legend that is Kemar Roach, because we can talk about his test achievements, and he's one of the West Indies' finest ever seen bowlers in the test arena. But for him to play for a team like Surrey, in county cricket, a team which are tremendously strong as it is, just how vital is Kemar Roach to Surrey's potential success in the summer of 2023? 
yeah, it rounds the team off really nicely. Obviously, they've got a lot of quality players in each each area of, of the, the the eleven or in the squad as a whole. Um, but you obviously need a, a very good seamer to, you know, that, that that's going to take your wickets. And as we've seen in this game, five wickets in the in the second innings. I think it's three wickets in in the first innings. Um, got the big wicket of of Sam Hain in, in Warwickshire's second innings, um, which obviously he's he's the person that, that's going to cause you the most danger from um, a Warwickshire perspective. So for somebody's got to you know step up and and take the big wickets, and he Kimar Roach took most, if not all, of of the big wickets in in Warwickshire's second innings, and basically broke the back of of the game and and swung it in Surrey's favour very much so. He really did, Kieran. And as someone who was there in the Stanley Barnes stand, I've got to say it's one of the finest spells I've seen in a very, very long time. I know, obviously, the dismissals, they were preventable. There were a few in the second innings where I think the Bears could have been a lot better. And I think they lost their heads, as I'll come on to discuss. But in terms of just the, the nagging line and length, and the ball to Rob Yates in particular, he got Yates out in both innings. The setup was immaculate. It was textbook scene bowling at its utmost best. So... Kemar Roach, there's a reason why he's taken 502 career first-class wickets at an average of 25.87. He is a master in conditions like those. And to be honest, aside from Ed Barnard's 49 in that second innings, the rest of the Bears simply capitulated. In the end, the home side ultimately being bowled out for 141 runs within 40 overs and giving Surrey a paltry target of just 11 runs to chase down in their second innings, which as you might be able to guess, was chased down pretty easily. The visitors ultimately getting the target in just two overs and winning the game by nine wickets. So we've spoken a lot here about Surrey, haven't we, Kieran? And and rightfully so, because this was a a fantastic performance from a very, very strong side. But if we just focus on the Bears for a moment, where does this defeat leave Warwickshire County Cricket Club? Because we've gone in the space of a week from saying they're potential title contenders... So all of a sudden, some people now see them as as mid-table fodder. Where do you see the Bears? Where do you assess them after three games of this year's county championship? Uh, I certainly think there there are stronger teams at the moment, but obviously we're still very early in the in the season. Um, So I think it's just a case of the bowling looks very good, and there is um, sometimes potential for a bit of a batting collapse um as you know you see Ed Barnard the only person really getting any sort of a respectable score in the in the second innings um as I touched on it, when if Sam Hain doesn't get runs um a lot of the time Warwickshire aren't really at, at the level that, that they'd like to be but people have got runs for Warwickshire this season I think I can't remember if Rob Yates has hit a century. You can correct me on on if he if he hasn't. Uh, I know Davis has hit one. Hayne obviously started very well. Um, and you're playing against a team that's going to be in in the top two of the of Division One. So a loss against Surrey isn't really something that I would read into too much because a lot of teams are going to lose against Surrey and up to this point, Warwickshire have looked quite good and they'll probably continue to look good after this game. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that, Kieran, because I, I completely agree with that. Like, I, I did hear at Edgebaston this week some people saying, oh, this is the start of us getting relegated and this, that, the other. But 
I just think they had an off session. And it is frustrating. It's disappointing because the exact same thing happened against Surrey at the Oval last year on day four. One bad morning session and all of a sudden a potential draw, even a match-winning situation, turned into a six-wicket loss. So it is something that the Bears have to be careful of. We have to be wary of those batting collapses and we have to show fight. But to give them credit, Ed Barnard and Dan Mosley did show that this week. So Dan Mosley got 55 in the first innings. Ed Barnard got 49 in the second. And the one thing which I've worried about Warwickshire in the past is giving up. It's giving up the fight and not showing enough of that passion and grit at times. In this game, even though it was a nine-wicket loss, there's a difference mentality-wise between losing by nine wickets and losing by an innings because that easily could have happened. After being 22 for four, they could have capitulated and gone, you know what, game's finished, let's just get it over and done with. But they didn't. And that does fill me with a bit of hope and a bit of optimism. You mentioned this Bears bowling attack as well, Kieran. And they are just phenomenal. So at the moment, Ollie Hannandor with 14 wickets at 15.35. you got Rushworth taking 12 wickets at 21.66. Hassan Ali, 11 wickets at 22.72. And then Wokes and Barnard with five wickets apiece at 26.2 and 34 respectively. So it's a fantastic bowling unit. And for six straight innings, they have not conceded more than 300 runs. So this bowling attack gives me hope. The big question, and it is the litmus test about this Warwickshire side, is how will the batting fare? And you mentioned there have been contributions from the likes of Rob Yates, from the likes of Sam Hayne, from the likes of Dan Mosley at times this season. But we need a more combined batting effort. You can't just rely on Sam Hayne every single game. And it's something which Surrey do absolutely fantastically well. So if Burns and Sibley don't fire, Ryan Patel might get runs, or Ollie Pope gets runs, or Ben Folks get runs or the likes of a Will Jacks or a Cam Steele pick up the slack. You get a Jamie Smith scoring 88. You get a Dan Worrell scoring 35. They have contributions from every single player in that batting lineup. So there's lessons to be learned here for the Bears. There really are. I'm not going to be too harsh, though, and too critical, because A, we're three games into the season. The championship isn't won. Things can happen. People can get injured. Games can go wrong. They can go right in certain circumstances. So... Again, I'm I'm wary to to read too much into this game. I think it was an off game for the Bears and that's it. But at the same time, the real litmus test for this group now will be how they bounce back because they haven't got a home game next. They've got a trip to Southampton, a ground which the Bears have been notoriously poor at for the past 13 years. So that Hampshire game, that's where I think we can begin to analyse this team properly in the wider context of the county championship. But... Yeah, in terms of this game, I think you just have to tip your cap. Fair play to Surrey. They played magnificently and thoroughly deserve to walk away from Birmingham with the winning points. But Kieran, aside then from that clash in Birmingham this week, let's head down to the capital. Let's go to London, where Middlesex beat Kent by nine wickets at Lords. Now, Middlesex won the toss and opted to have a bowl first in this game, a decision which seems to have paid off brilliantly in the opening exchanges, as the irrepressible Saxis seam attack, led by the timeless Tim Murta and the impressive Ethan Bamber, carved through the Kent top order with very little resistance to leave the visitors floundering on a dire score of 92 for 6 within the first 44 overs of the game. Now, to their credit, the likes of Ben Compton, he scored 52, and Grant Stewart, he scored 44, did stop the ruts somewhat with their respective knocks and their battling 53-1 stand for the seventh wicket. 
but even this riposte was not enough to take the White Horse up to a substantial score in London this week, with Kent ultimately crumbling to a total of 186 all-outs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Middlesex themselves got off to a rather poor start, with the home side being reduced to a shaky score of 90 for 6 within the first 28 overs of their innings. But cometh the hour, cometh the man, and the man of the moments for the Saxes of Middlesex was Ryan Higgins this week. And Kieran, we've got to talk about this guy because when he he re-signed, I suppose, for Middlesex from Gloucestershire, I was really excited. I think he was an absolutely fantastic piece of business for the London club. And it's for reasons like this, it's for knocks like these, which I just think he provides so much value to this Middlesex side. 71 from 108 balls completely changed the momentum of this first innings. So, Kieran, I have to ask Ryan Higgins, what do you make of him as a cricketer and be his importance to the success of this Middlesex team? Yeah, I'm really impressed with him, both with bat and ball. It seems like every time I look at a Middlesex scorecard, batting or bowling, Ryan Higgins has done something. And on on his importance, at the minute, he's what's holding the Middlesex side together because the top order for the majority of the season now hasn't been firing. Um, And at some point, that's probably going to come back to bite them. You can't really rely on your number seven to, to keep getting your runs and I'm not sure who Middlesex's top run scorer is this season. I would put a fairly substantial amount of money on the fact that it is Ryan Higgins. Um, and if at some point he he does stop scoring runs, which, as I say, you can't expect your, your number seven bat to, to keep bailing you out every week, they might start to struggle, obviously, for, for them at the moment and for, for Ryan Higgins himself. It's very good that he's in form but he sort of needs somebody else to back him up at some point with the bat and with the ball, the, the bowling attack's fine. It, it's the the batting for, for Middlesex. I know that they've won this game um, mostly on the strength of their, their bowling rather than, rather than the batting. Um, yeah. He, Higgins is, is a very important player for them, but he needs some help at some point because not every game is going to be as easy as this where, you're bowling the other team out for 186 and 128 and and not having to hit a lot of runs. I think that is a fantastic point, to be honest, Kieran, because I think it goes back to our conversation about Warwickshire and that over-reliance on Sam Hayne. You can't over-rely on one player to perform, but in terms of his individual efforts this season, you are spot on. Ryan Higgins, unsurprisingly, is Middlesex's leading run scorer with 327 runs at 545 in seven innings, including 450-plus scores. So he's been in scintillating touch with the bats and also with the ball. 12 wickets at 20.41 and a coming rate of 2.21 as well. He's also Middlesex's most economic bowler. So he's holding up an ends. He's producing pressure. He's not allowing the opposition to get any breathing space whatsoever. If he does continue this, I think Middlesex will be easily comfortable in Division 1 this season, and as a result of Ryan Higgins' 71, as well as some pretty handy knocks from the likes of Luke Holman, he scored 32, and Tom Helm, who chipped in with 20, Middlesex ultimately got to a total of 229 all-outs by the end of their first innings. Now, in response to this, Ken got off to a much better start to their second innings. In the 37th over, 
the visitors found themselves 87 for two and in a very, very promising position. However, as soon as Jack Leaning departed, bowled by the aforementioned Ryan Higgins for 48 runs, everything started to go wrong for the White Horse. So from 87 for two, the visiting side ultimately being bowled out for 128 runs. And by that point, the game was basically done. The target for Middlesex to chase down was just 86 runs. Yes, they did lose the wicket of Mark Stoma for 13 early on, but the likes of Sam Robson, he scored 41, and Peter Milan scoring 24 out, ultimately chasing down that target with complete and utter ease, wrapping up a commanding nine-wicket victory for the Saxes of Middlesex within just 24.3 overs. Now, before we get on to Kent's, who have had a very, very rough start to the season, and again, I want to know your thoughts on the the struggles of that batting lineup. One Middlesex player that we've alluded to briefly so far, but we have to give a massive mention to, is of course the man, the myth, the legend himself, Mr. Tim Murter, bringing up 1,000 career wickets for the Saxes of Middlesex across all formats. Just a few words on the great man. Just how impressive was Tim Murter in this game? Yeah, he's... I don't want to say weird, but it's like it's so interesting to see how people can some some cricketers can just keep going and keep pulling out performances that that are very good week in and week out, no matter how long they've been doing it for. I don't really want to put him in the same bracket as as James Anderson, but he's that sort of cricketer that just seems like he's going to carry on forever and that he's going to take a million wickets and he's never going to stop and the, taking a six for in the second innings and the two wickets the first two balls of the innings just that set them up for the rest of, of the game and I know obviously Kent sort of had a, a little bit of a of a fight back but again Murta was was the person in the middle that that continued taking wickets and just really impressive yeah Honestly, I don't know how he does it because he's 41 now and obviously age is just a number. But again, you just look at the stats from this season. He's played two games. He's taken 15 wickets, an average of 14.73. Overall match figures of 10 for 82 against Kent this week. Tim Murta, he really is a legend of county cricket. And honestly, I just hope he plays as much as possible. The day that he retires, I'll be a very, very sad man indeed. But while he's still playing, while he's still producing these performances... He really is worth his weight in gold to Middlesex County Cricket Club. And just another bowler who really impressed me this week, Ethan Bamber. His stock's continuing to rise in 2023, taking four for 42 in that first innings. And just the, the control, the discipline and the movements which he generates with that Duke's ball is scary. It really is. So Ethan Bamber take a bow, definitely someone to watch out for if you do support the Saxes of Middlesex County Cricket Club. But, Kieran, aside from the praise and the plaudits and the rightful praise, it has to be said, for that Middlesex performance this week, we do have to touch upon Kent's because this has been a really, really rough start to the season. So we'll talk about their position in the table in due course. But in terms of the batting struggles in particular, this is something which I can't understand. On paper... They should be doing a lot better. And don't get me wrong, it's still early stages. They've only played four matches. It's April. They are bowling-friendly conditions for the most part at this stage of the summer. But are you a little bit concerned with Kent's batting efforts so far? Or 
I, I don't know. Do you think it's a bit of rustiness? Where do you assess this Kent side heading into the foreseeable future in this year's county championship? It's a tricky one because obviously there are there are players that have had good knocks this season. Obviously, Zach Crawley is sort of a prime example that um, th- that's sort of very in line with how their their season's gone. That that some players do well one innings and then and then not so well in the next, and it's sort of feast or famine for for Zach Crawley that he's really frustrating and that he can hit you a hundred off. 80 balls, whatever, probably not quite that quick, whatever. Um, but then can get dismissed for a duck. Um, and uh, Tim but Tim Murta bowled well, but obviously that, that innings the but to get out on the first ball of the innings, I know the ball's moving away, but you're a test quality cricketer getting out first ball and then other people as well. I know Ben Compton is sort of the shining light of of their batting order and has been for the past couple of seasons now. Obviously, you know, did really well last season. Beyond that, there, there is potential for a downfall. I can't remember seeing Jordan Cox hit many runs. Sam Billings has been a little bit disappointing in that Kent would have hoped him being at the club for I believe it's the first time since 2015 that he's actually started at the start of the season um you would have expected that he would have had some form of impact and he hasn't really with the bat I know Joey Everson had a good knock uh I think it was a couple of weeks ago but there is sort of the potential that, that there can be a downfall and, and that seems to be happening more often than not as I say there are people in the batting lineup that, that are going to get your runs and they just need to be doing that more consistently because you can't have one week where you, you're scoring a lot of runs and then and then the next week where you're not scoring any at all. You can't, Kieran, and, and that's where I'm a little bit concerned. Obviously, it's still early days and they are just four games into their season, but we talk about over-reliance and Ben Compton is a serious cricketer. We all know that. He was fantastic last summer and Again, he's had a really good start to the season this year. He scored 377 runs, an average of 62.83. But aside from that, and obviously Zach Crawley's monster 170 against Essex, the, the batting contributions just haven't been there. And in terms of the bowling efforts as well, I've got to say a number of bowlers averaging over 50 with the ball in hand, which is a recipe for disaster. So it, it's still early days for Kent. Don't get me wrong, and there's still a lot of time for them to to rebuild and regather and build some momentum in this year's county championship. But in terms of this start of the season, after a very, very impressive couple of weeks to begin with, they are just beginning to lose momentum now, and it is a little bit worrying, but we'll have to wait and see. In terms of personnel changes, will we see any in the next couple of rounds? I don't know, maybe Tawanda Muyeye could come in. He has been in good form for the seconds and obviously a very, very classy cricketer. I have seen a lot of Kent fans vouching for his name to be included in that starting eleven. So whether or not that change is enacted, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, very, very disappointing week, to say the least, for the White Horse of Kent County Cricket Club. But aside then from those two games, Kieran, those were our only two games in Division 1 for this week. It is the shortest round, I believe, in this year's county championship. So just looking at the table at the end of the fourth round, at the top of Division 1 are Surrey County Cricket Club, the defending champions, after that victory over Warwickshire on 52 points. 
In second, are Hampshire on 45 points. In third, also on 45 points, but having played that extra game as a result of this round, our Middlesex County Cricket Club. Then in fourth place, are Essex on 40 points. In fifth place, are Warwickshire on 38 points. In sixth place, having played that extra game, are Kent County Cricket Club on 31 points. In seventh and eighth are Nottinghamshire and Lancashire, respectively, both on 29 points apiece. In ninth are Northamptonshire on 23 points. And still bottom of Division 1 at the end of the fourth round are Somerset County Cricket Club on 22 points. So Surrey, yet again, getting off to a very, very good start. Currently unbeaten are the defending champions, having won two games and drawn one. And I'm just looking at the bonus points as well. With the ball in hand, they've already scored nine. Middlesex have got 12, though. So we talk about the strength of their seam attack. Yeah, the sacks is just a team to watch out for this year. If the batting does come to the forefront and they camp up some significant scores, some totals of real substance, who knows? Middlesex could also be a team to watch out for. But aside then from Division 1, let's go to Division 2, Kieran. And what better place to start this week than up in the northeast? Let's go to Durham, where Durham County Cricket Club beat Derbyshire by an innings and seven runs at the Riverside. Now, Durham won the toss and elected to have a bat first in Chester Street this week. A decision which paid off in truly phenomenal fashion, as centuries from Ollie Robinson, he scored 114, and Bryden Cars producing a magnificent 108, as well as handy contributions from the likes of Alex Lees, Michael Jones and Paul Coughlin, ultimately saw the home side rack up a mammoth total of 452 for nine declared by the end of just 99.4 overs. Now, Kieran, right off the bat, two players we have to discuss when talking about this game. Ollie Robinson and Bryden Cast. Bryden Cast, the birth of the bowling all-rounder, unleashing the, the inner Ben Stokes within him quite clearly at the Riverside this week. But in terms of their respective performances... Just a few words. How impressed were you with the likes of Ollie Robinson and Bryden Cars in this particular fixture? Yeah, Ollie Robinson's doing really well off the off the back of that that move up north. Um, obviously hitting this hundred and not just hitting a hundred, it's the speed that it came at as well. One hundred and fourteen of one hundred and seven balls striking at more than a hundred. Um, a fantastic knock, um, and yeah, he looks like he's he's really sort of thriving in that environment and, and having the opportunity to play in that role to to know that he's going to be in the sort of middle order, um, but the higher middle order. Um, and yeah, he looks like he's he's really enjoying his time at Durham. And then Bryden Cars, of course, as we all know, the bowling all-rounder is the best type of cricketer. Um, and Bryden Cars. Obviously, he had that 90-odd uh, in, in Durham's last game and then following that up with 100 in this game. Um, and I'm, I've am i actually been somewhat surprised that he hasn't had more recognition from England. Um, obviously, he played in that series that was affected by COVID in would have been 2021, I think, against Pakistan, the ODI series, that he obviously they, they had to pick a full new squad and, and Bryden Cast played in that, took took some wickets. Um, there was some handy runs in the third ODI, if my memory serves me correctly. Um, and I, I have been surprised that he hasn't um, gotten anything, anything more from England yet. 
Um, I think he, he, he possibly played in the Netherlands last year, was it? Uh, but he ha- obviously hasn't been consistently in the side. Um, knocks like like that and and bowling, obviously he's he's one of the sharpest bowlers in the country as well. Doing both of those things is only going to help his his prospects in in any form of the game. It certainly will. And just talking to Bryden Cast first and foremost, a maiden, first class hundred. So that was absolutely fantastic. Congratulations to Bryden Cast. And this is an absolutely insane stats, right? Don't get me wrong; it's early stages of the season. But Bryden Cast is averaging eighty three in the county championship. He scored two hundred and forty nine runs, including a century and a fifty. He's also scored 26 fours and seven sixes, which is absolutely wild. So a scintillating start to the summer, to say the least, for Mr. Cast. And then Ollie Robinson, brilliant, brilliant cricketer. Honestly, I know a lot of Kent fans were sad to see him go, and there's a reason why. He is a supremely talented batter. Also a very good keeper, but in terms of the, the batting hand in particular, 303 runs scored so far this summer. Averaging 50, a century and two half century plus scores. So, Ollie Robinson, watch out for him. A very, very talented player, to say the very least. And as a result of their innings, and as I mentioned, those those very handy innings from the likes of Alex Lees, he scored 45, Michael Jones scored 43, and Paul Coughlin scored 52 from 72 deliveries. Durham were in a really, really commanding position in this game. And as if the batting wasn't clinical enough, the bowlers just followed it up in absolutely tremendous fashion, skittling Derbyshire out for 165 runs within just 34.3 first innings overs. So we've mentioned the batting, Kieran, but the bowling across both innings, to be honest, for Durham was irresistible. It was fantastic to watch as a fan of first-class cricket. So in terms of that Durham seam attack, and of course aided and aptly assisted by Matt Parkinson, coming in on that two-week loan from Lancashire. What did you make of their performance with the ball in hand in this particular encounter? Uh, maybe I'm, I'm missing somebody. I'm not sure. I don't think I can think of a better team attack in Division 2 than, or a better bowling attack as a whole Sorry than, than Durham's. Um, obviously, losing Matt Kuhneman through injury isn't ideal, uh, and Matt Parkinson's a, a good stopgap. Uh, for this game and the next game, um, whether or not that will be extended, I'm unsure. But Ben Rain last season was very good. Matt Potts obviously last season was very good, and that's why he got he got himself an England call up. And and it, it's basically those two are the the uh, the main uh, cogs in in the Durham bowling machine. And with backup from from the likes of of Bride and Cars, it's a very good bowling attack, and, and you can see from how few Derbyshire batters were, were able to get in because it can't be easy to score off them. And looking at the, the, the first few uh, dismissals, LBW bold rain, bold parts, LBW rain, bold parts, LBW rain, and then caught behind off parts. It just shows that it, it's not at all easy to to bat against them and they're, they're not really going to give you anything and, and there's not going to be a whole lot of loose balls to score from. 
Well, there aren't. Uh, again, I go back onto that that saying and and that particular word, and it is just irresistible or irrepressible, either or. To be honest, with this Durham bowling attack, you think that you've you've sustained the pressure from one end, and then they've got a Matt Potts coming on, they've got a Ben Rain coming on, Paul Coughlin as well is a very very good county bowler, and then obviously this week they had Matt Parkinson, as if that wasn't enough. So absolutely no room to manoeuvre whatsoever for those Derbyshire batters, but. If we do just take a moment to focus, actually, Kieran, on the East Midlands County, scores of 165 all-outs and 280 all-outs on what was a decent wicket up in the northeast this week. What did you make of their performance? And actually, before we go on to the team as a whole, just a couple of players from Derbyshire that we do have to give tremendous credit to. First and foremost, Lewis Reese, who, again, didn't even get dismissed in this particular game. Scores of 56 not outs in the first innings and 66 and outs in the second. So I thought he batted very, very well. And then one of the most unluckiest players this week, and I think he got out to a very, very contentious LBW shout. I think it was not out personally speaking, was Matt Lamb, 99. And that was a fantastic partnership that he and Lewis Reese shared actually for the sixth wicket, 149 runs to be exact. What did you make of their performances before we get onto the wider discussion of Derbyshire's start to the season. But obviously, Matt Lamb, very unlucky to not get 100. I, I can't remember exactly which one of his, which, which one was his dismissal. I have watched a video of all of um, Ben Rain's wickets. Um, and there was there were a couple that were potentially not out. Um, I think Brooke Guests was one that I thought was I would out. agree. Yeah. And then, was it maybe Matt Lamb was the one that it looked like he was outside the line? Yeah, that yeah. was down the track. It looked outside the line. And also yeah. you could argue because he was so far down, you know, is there a little bit of, of doubt creeping in? But Yeah, um, obviously un- unfortunate, but for them, for for himself and, and Lewis Reese to get runs to sort of make a game of it and and try to get to a, to a respectable total so that they didn't lose by an innings unfortunately they obviously didn't didn't manage to do that but you know it's going to build confidence for for the next few games when you've you've got runs and you you know that if people at the top of the order aren't, aren't firing for, for whatever reason obviously in, in this game it, it was very much that you're batting against a very good bowling lineup and, and there wasn't a lot of opportunity to score at least there is the confidence in in themselves and for the team as a whole that that if the top of the order doesn't fire, you know there are going to be people there that that can score you a decent amount of runs. And they did exactly that this week. It was just a shame that Derbyshire in both innings actually got to such a poor start. And if we do just look at the wider context of this game and, and Derbyshire's start of the season, it has been underwhelming, let's face it, because they've been making really good progress, good strides in four-day cricket. They've gone from a team which was very beatable to being a team which is hard to break down and a team which, fair enough, isn't exactly dominating the second division, but they were getting big results last summer. And so far this year, it's been a really, really slow start. They're currently bottom of the division, having lost two and drawn their other games. So, Kieran, in terms of Derbyshire, obviously Durham, it's the exact opposite, isn't it? They're absolutely flying. They just need to continue this, this wave of momentum. But for Derbyshire, what do you think they can do now to, to stop the ruts? What can this team do to flip the script? Because unlike other counties, this Derbyshire squad 
is very small. It's not as though they've got the luxury of being able to chop and change players every single week and bringing in new personnel. So what do you think needs to change from a Derbyshire perspective to get them back on track in this year's county championship? I don't know. There are obviously, there are players there that are good players. Um, Lewis Deploy, obviously being the captain now, is a very good bat. Uh, Wayne Madsen's stalwart, a good bat. You've got Zach Chappell, I've been particularly impressed with for, for the majority of this season. Um, and there are there are players dotted around that, that are going to put in good performances. It's just Maybe just a case of that, that sometimes that not all of those players are gonna are gonna put in those performances on the same day and find it a way that that means that you can do that. And I know that's that's easier said than done, but obviously with the players at, at their disposal, there are there are players there that that can do it, and they, I I don't know how, but it's just somehow finding a way of of trying to make sure that they're all all firing on on all cylinders and and all doing it in in sync um like i say i'm not sure how they do that but i'm i'm sure they they're not going to be in this position where they're, they're losing a lot of games all season it's just how they go about getting better i, I would agree with that to be honest kieran i don't think that adoption are a really bad team I, I don't because this side last year were very competitive in the division but it's just been a very, very slow start. If I was to be critical, though, and it has only been three games, I think the real key component this year, which has got to improve, is the bowling. Because aside from Zach Chappell and Lewis Reese, Chappell's averaging 28.9, Lewis Reese is averaging 31.5. Every single one of the Derbyshire bowlers is averaging over 45. So we talk about the wider discussion of county cricket. We talk about ruthless seam attacks. They've got to be more controlled and more disciplined, that Derbyshire team. I mentioned that actually back in the Worcestershire game, where they conceded something like 60 extras. It's all about minimising those errors, producing some some periods of, of sustained pressure and putting the opposition under attack in certain stages of the game. So do I think that they can turn this around? Absolutely. 100%. I think that Mickey Arthur can get the best out of this team. But it has been a slow start. Now it's about generating some momentum even if it starts off with a draw, not necessarily a win, but a draw, get points on the board, get yourself back into the mix. And I do think Derbyshire will become a lot more competitive as Division 2 does continue this summer. But as for Durham, so impressed. So, so impressed. It's great to see them at the top of the table and they are rightfully there. They deserve to be at the top so far. I think the seam attack's been clinical. The batting's been fantastic. And yeah, if you're a fan of Durham County Cricket Club, definitely hoping for more of the same heading into the summer of 2023. But aside from that encounter then, between Durham and Derbyshire in the northeast this week, Kieran, let's head to the East Midlands, where Leicestershire and Glamorgan played out a rather entertaining draw at Grace Road. Now, Glamorgan won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this game, a decision which appeared to have backfired somewhat as the Leicestershire batting unit, spearheaded by Peter Hanscombe and Rehan Ahmed, amassed a sizable total of 407 all-outs by the end of their 107.4 first innings overs. And Kieran, right off the bat, let's talk about those two players I've just mentioned. Peter Hanscom, Rian Ahmed, you can argue very, very unlucky not to brought up three figures in Leicester this week. 
Rianne scoring 90, Peter Hanscom scoring 95. But in terms of their batting contributions on home soil in this game, they were absolutely pivotal, weren't they? Mm, I thought when Leicester played Yorkshire on, on the opening game of the season, just looking at their, their batting order, a middle order of Colin Ackerman, uh, Peter Hanscom, Vian Mulder and Rayan Ahmed is one of the best middle orders in either division, really. And Ackerman, Hanscom and Ahmed have have done very well this season. Um, Vian Mulder can bat. He's just not not particularly done it so far. Um, obviously, you know what you, you're going to get with Peter Hanscom. He played test matches for Australia as recently as a couple of months ago for a reason. Um, and, you know, that was somewhat because he's a he's a competent player of spin, but he wouldn't have played test cricket for Australia as recently as he had if he wasn't a good cricketer. And then Rian Ahmed just looks phenomenal pretty much every game he plays. Um, and I getting out on 90, I don't think he'll really care I think he's very much a product of the current England setup of sort of do everything you can to be attacking and, and try and win games of cricket. And I don't really think he'll be too bothered at all about getting out for 90. Um, but some of the shots he played, that the, I, I know a lot of people will have seen it because... Um, you, you, it's difficult to get, get away from anything that Ray and Ahmed does if you sort of have heard of cricket before, but the, the helicopter sort of pull shot off Michael Nisa, just phenomenal. It was Kieran, and it wasn't just the shot itself, but it was also the milestone, wasn't it? That's to bring up his 50. Mm. So the confidence that is exuding from Rian Ahmed, and to be honest, this entire Leicestershire batting lineup is really, really impressive. And obviously, aside from Leicestershire's very, very strong batting in this particular game, just one Glamorgan bowler which I do have to give a massive shout-out to, Tim van der Hoogten, in an innings which was very much dominated by that Leicestershire middle order, I thought he bowled absolutely fantastically, in particular on day one. I thought his line and lengths were absolutely spot on, ultimately finishing with figures of 6 for 88 from 29 overs in that first innings. But as I mentioned, this really was a batting-friendly surface, as Glamorgan would find out in their first innings. And... Talking of that innings for the Welsh County, they got off to a somewhat sedate start. They were 164 for five by the end of day two. But after that somewhat shaky start, proceedings in Leicester were basically dominated by two men in particular. Chris Cook, he scored a masterful 132. And Michael Nisa, devastating the boundary rope at Grace Rose with a quick fire 90 as the pair put on a sensational 211 run partnership for the eighth wicket, which ultimately saw Glamorgan up to a far more commanding score of 446 for eight by the end of day three. Now, unfortunately, in this game, the rain did play spoil sports across multiple days. The weather has been absolutely appalling here in the Midlands over the course of this weekend. So by this point, the game was was pretty much gone. There wasn't much chance of result happening, but with that being said, Glamorgan, they've been bowled out for 465 runs. They had a 58-run lead. But I'll tell you what, in Leicestershire's second innings, proceedings really did belong to one man, Rishi Patel, who is having a fantastic start to the summer. 
He really is. He, he had that century, didn't he, up at Headingley against Yorkshire. And then following that up with a blistering 134 outs, which included 18 fours and three sixes, as Leicestershire racked up 252 runs within just 64 overs on day four. So a very, very entertaining game of cricket, to say the least. Definitely batting heavy with those aforementioned knocks, but we did also see some really good bowling from the likes of Tim Van Hooten. Chris Wright took a fiver in Glamorgan's innings. And a player who I'm really, really delighted for from a Leicestershire perspective is Tom Scriven. Coming back into the fold, taking figures of 3 for 61 from 27 overs. Again, I thought he bowled really well. And it's great to see him back in action and producing the goods in the county championship. So in terms of these two sides, Kieran, who do you think would be the happier of the two? Because obviously Leicestershire have had a fantastic start to the season. They are in scintillating form at the moment. But for Glamorgan... Given the fact that they did have that slight wobble on day two, the way in which they fought back to ultimately get those five draw points, they might also be quite happy, mightn't they? Uh, uh, yeah, I would say Morgan would probably be the slightly happier of the two with the draw. Um, obviously, Leicestershire have been in good form this season, somewhat unexpectedly. Um and with Glamorgan having fought back and, and the, those couple of knocks from, from Cook and Nisa to get up to the score that they got to um, was a very good effort. But then Leicestershire's second innings, just obviously Rishi Patel, the, the, the focal point of that, just looked, everybody just looked very untroubled. And you've got test match bowler in, in Michael Nisa just just taken the one wicket in, I know, you know, about 10 overs, which not not a lot of the the Glamorgan bowlers bowled uh, many more. Uh, only one person bowled, bowled more than that. But I think Leicestershire looked like they could have batted forever. So um, they could have, if the game had a, uh, had a few more, more time to bring a result, I think um, Leicestershire could have tried to to uh, get up to a very good total, potentially declare and, and see if they could bowl Glamorgan out. So I think Glamorgan will probably be the happier of, of the two sides with the draw in that that wasn't able to happen and they, they'll, they'll have taken those points and, and thought that's a fair uh, result. I tend to agree, to be honest, Kieran. I do think Glamorgan, on this particular occasion, would be the happier, given this particular situation. But again, for Leicestershire, they played two really, really quality opposition so far this summer. So you think first game of the season, that historic victory over Yorkshire Headingley, the first win on, on Yorkshire soil, basically, in the championship since, what was it, 1910, 113 years in the making, that victory was. And then they've got a draw against Glamorgan a team which saw Sam Northey score 410 out against them last season. So, again, I think Leicestershire, they're building something here. And again, we'll have to wait and see. It's a long season, but it would be a fantastic story if the Foxes of Leicestershire County Cricket Club could get promoted. But just one final thing we have to talk about from this game, Kieran, and I'm sure you've seen it, and we couldn't discuss this game without talking about this moment, but that delivery from Eddie Byram, in what was arguably the best delivery that we're going to see in the county championship this summer. Obviously, that is sarcasm. (laughs) 
for those who haven't seen it, it was really, really funny. And I think it was, was it Kieran Carlson at Leg Slip? I can't think who it was at Leg Slip, but they just bent down just in tears of laughter. It was a fantastic moment. And obviously Eddie's not in there for his bowling, but yeah, what did you <laughs> what did you make of that particular delivery the thing in is, that situation, I Kieran? I hadn't seen any of it up to that. I've only seen the clip of that delivery. I don't know what he was trying to bowl because I'm sure if you go on Eddie Byram's Crick Info page, it says he's a leg spinner. That can't have been an attempt at bowling leg spin. It bounced three times. And the, just the way his shoulder came over, I don't understand what he was attempting to bowl. And also, he didn't get a no ball given for it. It literally bounced three times. And the umpires just went, nah, had enough. Like, it's time to go here. I'm not watching this anymore. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely hilarious. I think that's the only way I can describe it, to be honest. And in fairness to him, the rest of his two overs were actually very good. Right, he did actually land all of the other ones. I think he only conceded nine runs over the course of those two overs, but that delivery was absolutely hilarious. So that has given us something to, <laughs> to have a laugh about, I suppose. At the end of the fourth round, the Mashonaland Muralitharan. I think that's what we're going to call him. Born in Harare in Zimbabwe. So, yeah, more of the same, please, Eddie, <laughs> heading into the rest of the season. But, Kieran, aside then, from that very entertaining encounter at Grace Road, Let's head to our fifth and final game from the fourth round, which saw Gloucestershire and Sussex play out a rain-affected draw in Bristol. Now, Gloucestershire won the toss and elected to have a bowl first in this match, a decision which appeared to have paid off very nicely in the early exchanges as the host dismissed both Tom Haynes and Ali Orr within the first 19 overs of the game to leave the Martlets stumbling somewhat on a score of 58 for two. But after this promising start, the momentum of this innings began to shift firmly in the favour of the visitors, as the imperious Chateshwa Pajara came to the forefront in phenomenal fashion and produced a majestic 151 alongside the likes of Tom Alsop, James Coles and Ollie Carter to ultimately take the Southern County up to a, a commanding total of 455 for 5 declared by the end of their first innings. And Kieran, I know you know exactly who I'm going to talk about first here. And that is, of course, Chiteshwa Pajara, a master of first-class cricket. And this was an innings of the very, very highest calibre. This was Chiteshwa Pajara at his ruthless best. It was his 58th, 58th career first-class century. So just a few words on the great man. What did you make of this particular effort from Chiteshwa Pajara? Firstly, he, he he was 99 not out overnight. If I ever got, of course, a very hypothetical situation because I, I would never be playing a game that would go over two days because that would mean being a professional sports person. But if I got to the point where I needed one run to not be 99 not out overnight, I would be trying to hit the ball to the moon. I don't understand how... The, Again, this sort of shows why I'm not a professional sports person. People can have the sort of mental capacity to, obviously, he scored millions of of centuries to go. Yeah, we'll just wait and and we'll get it tomorrow. And obviously, he is good enough to have to have waited and then got the literally single run that he needed and and carried on. And his his average for Sussex is ridiculous now, isn't it? I can't remember exactly what it is, but it, it's it's a big number. Um, and that's what you get with having a, a test match player in your side. You, uh, of course, a lot of the counties that do have test match cricketers, they put in very good performances week in, week out. And and that's 
very much what what Chateshwar Pajara is doing um, because he is still very much a very high quality test player. He certainly is, Kieran. And in terms of his stats so far this summer, unsurprisingly, Sussex's leading run score with 332 runs, averages 66.4 and two centuries to his name. And as if that wasn't already promising enough for fans of the Martlets, Steve Smith comes in for the Worcestershire game. So that could be an absolute delight to watch those two in action in the West Midlands this week. But even aside from Chiteshwa Pajara, again, just a, a few names I've got to mention from a Sussex perspective. Tom Alsop, yet again, impressing 67 from 170 deliveries. James Coles with 74 from 102. And then Ollie Carter. Ollie Carter might just be the unsung hero of Division 2 so far. I think he has been in fantastic form. He's averaging 72 with the bat in hand so far this season. So, again, watch out for this guy. A very, very handy batter, to say the least. But as a result of all of those knocks, Sussex produced that mammoth score 455 for 5 within the space of just 109 overs. Now, it is important to say that by this point, it was already day three. The rain had been causing absolute havoc in the West Country this week. It was very wet, very dark, very gloomy. But in fairness to Sussex, they actually gave themselves a chance of winning this game. They bowled out Gloucestershire for 248 within just 91 overs in the first innings. And then they had them in quite a bit of trouble on a score of 41 for four in the second innings within just 10 overs. So they did try their utmost to win this game. But just a couple of players who we've got to give tremendous credit to from a Gloucestershire perspective. First and foremost, Kieran, Miles Hammond in that first innings. That is one of the gutsiest knocks that I think we've seen so far this season. 87 not out from 171 deliveries. Turned a potential game-losing situation into a salvageable one. And that really was a key knock at a key time when his back was against the wall. Miles Hammond, and in fairness, AJ Dale as well, 10 from 45 for a tail ender. Very, very impressive from those two this week. So what did you make of Miles Hammond's batting efforts in this particular encounter? He uh, he acquitted himself well. Obviously, the, the top order got off to a decent start. Um, you know, they, they all basically got starts and then and then didn't kick on. And it, after having had uh, 455 put past you, you, you need somebody to to dig in and, and get you those runs. Or, you know, if everyone rolls over, and I'm not, I don't want to say that the top order rolled over. And I, I know there was a little bit of a, a collapse at, after Hammond. Um, obviously, he was not out, but, you know, the, the players that came in after him uh, and batted with him didn't really get very many. There were, there were players that stuck around with him, but for him to to play that that gutsy sort of knock, it just that that was a really good effort. So that he put Gloucestershire in a good position to to not lose the game because obviously even with the rain affecting the game, had had Gloucestershire been bowled out cheaply in the first innings, they did get into a little bit of trouble on on the final uh, the final day anyway. So had they been bowled out cheaply without that that knock from Hammond they could have been in quite a lot of trouble come the end of the game so a really good effort to to score those runs and to occupy the crease for that long 
Yeah, it was, a, it was a fantastic display. I've got to say, a really gutsy, really gritty, very resilient knock from Miles Hammond this week. So again, I think he deserves tremendous credit, to say the least. And again, someone else from a Gloucestershire perspective, in that second innings, Graham Van Buren, the captain, showed a lot of resolve, a lot of grit, a lot of resilience and fortitude this week with his 55 not out, which ultimately did salvage those five draw points for Gloucestershire County Cricket Club. So it's a shame, really that the rain did play spoil sport in this particular encounter because the cricket that we saw was engrossing. Pajara's 150, then you had Miles Hammond's 87 not out. Nathan McAndrew as well is having a really, really fantastic start to life in a Sussex shirt. So he took his second five-wicket haul for the Martlets in this game, taking figures of five for 63 in that first inning. So again, really promising signs. And it is just a shame that we had an, ult- an ultimately anticlimactic finish because that could have been a really, really good game of cricket. But as we've said, fair play to the Gloucestershire boys for, for sticking it out, for showing some fight, showing some grit and ultimately salvaging this game. And as for Sussex, again, a far more impressive start to proceedings in the summer of 2023. So a great game of cricket, shame about the rain, but for both these sides, definitely some positives to take with them heading in to the fifth round and beyond. And talking then of the fifth rounds and the county championship as a whole, let's have a look at the Division 2 tables heading into the fifth round of fixtures this week. So at the top of Division 2 are Durham County Cricket Club on 64 points. In second place with a game in hand are Leicestershire on 45 points. In third are the Martlets of Sussex on 41 points. In fourth are Worcestershire on 35 points. In fifth and sixth places are Glamorgan and Gloucestershire on 31 points and 27 points respectively. In seventh are Yorkshire on 21 points. And in eighth and bottom place of Division 2 at the end of the fourth round are Derbyshire County Cricket Club on 17 points. So Division 2, it really is beginning to turn into a very, very engrossing division to say the least. The likes of Leicestershire, Sussex, those teams have had a massive resurgence as of Durham. And I've got to say, if this Durham team can stay injury-free and they can retain the majority of their team heading into the rest of the summer, they should be sorted. They will be up there as contenders. Absolute dark horses. Worcestershire as well. I think the likes of Gloucestershire, Glam, Yorkshire will also be up in contention. So (laughs) again, just stick with us for the rest of the season. Division 2 really does have the makings of a very, very captivating competition, to say the least. And just talking of one final competition before we do end today's episode of the podcast, we do, of course, have the Cricket Draft Fancy League. And at the top of the table, after four rounds, are Maxwell Silver Hammers, captained by Danny Croter on 6,839 points. In second, are Stokeshire, captained by George Stokes on 6,656 points. And in third place, moving up nine places, are Hugh Moxon's Chessmen on 6,553 points. So again, guys, if you want to join us on that league, the link can be found in the podcast description below. Completely free to join. Just a little bit of fun. I say as, as Sam Hain of England CC a 65th in our own league, so we could do with a big round five. But if you want to join that team and join that league before the fifth round, you can do so by clicking on that link. But that is it from us two here at the Counter Cricket Podcast for today's episode. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in. And as always, guys, 
We'll see you on the next one.